All right, let's look at our scripture. Uh, we will continue on with our series on John uh, next uh, week. You notice we took time off into the Advent season, but I wanted to preach a special sermon uh, just for New Year's Day. So this is one of my favorite passages. This is Philippians 3, 1 through 11, where Paul speaks about himself and what drives him in his ministry. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safer for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if you've made your New Year's resolutions yet. I don't know if you are the sort of person that does that. But I have done a deep dive into the statistics of what people are resolving to do this year. And I have uh, come up with some information. These are the top resolutions for 2023. Of those uh, who were surveyed, 52%, the highest was to exercise more. So if you have a resolution to exercise more, you're in good company. 50% to eat healthier, 40% to lose weight, 39%. So you see a theme here, right? Uh, uh, to save more money, 39%. To spend more time with family and friends, 37%. To spend less time on social media, 20%. And to reduce stress on the job, 19%. There you have it, the resolutions. This is what people are going to do this year. Or are they? What is the success failure rate of New Year's resolutions? According to this study of the 41% of Americans who make New Year's resolutions, by the end of the year, only 9% feel they are successful in keeping them. So out of the 100% that say I'm going to do it, 9% feel successful in keeping it. Although 50% of the participants were confident of success at the beginning. The question is why? What happens? Uh, what uh, the reasons for failure when they ask people why they didn't accomplish their resolutions, 35% of the participants said they have unrealistic goals. 33% said they didn't keep track of their progress. 23% forgot about their resolutions. And many of them said that they had simply made too many resolutions. See, that's the challenge, isn't it, for us in America or around the world? 
We have so many resolutions, so many priorities of things that we want to do. In America, there is this idea that we can have it all, that we have an unlimited capacity to match our unlimited priorities. It's interesting, the word priority actually came into the English language in the 1400s, and it was a singular word, priority, and it meant precedence in right or rank. It meant the very first thing. And it stayed singular for the next 500 years. It's only in the 1900s that we pluralized the term and started talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. Somehow, we would now be able to have multiple first things. And so we now have in our business 10 priorities. And in our family, five priorities. And in our life, multiple priorities. And so we have to ask the question, where does our Christianity fit into all of that? Maybe we make spiritual growth one of those priorities. It's an aspect of our life. It's a slice of the pie, if you will. But in this passage, Paul takes us back to the original meaning of the word priority. One thing that takes precedence above all other things. And that is to know Christ. As Paul says in verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In other words, to know Jesus is not a slice of the pie. To know Jesus is the pie. And everything else fits in that. Now, Paul lived in the same world we did, but he understood that the heart has a throne with space for only one first thing. The reality, my friends, is that you cannot have 20 first things or 10 or even two. You must choose only one. And that's what this sermon is all about. Paul's resolution was to know Christ above all. And that is what will bring resolution to your life. Until you make this resolution, your life will have no resolution. So that's what we're going to examine. Number one, what is the greatest priority, the greatest resolution? Number two, what does it cost you? Because it always costs. And finally, number three, what do you get? So what is the greatest priority? Look at what Paul says in verse two. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What's he talking about? He's talking about this group of people who have come from Israel that we call the Judaizers. And the Judaizers believed that you could not be justified before God without observing the Mosaic law. See, they believed in Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ was a part of the equation. It was Jesus and observing the law and your efforts. And so when they're talking about mutilating the flesh, they're saying that you must be circumcised, even if you're a Gentile. It's not enough to believe in Jesus. You must become a Jewish proselyte and then come to Christ. You must follow all of these rules and regulations. And so the doctrine of the Judaizers was a mixture of grace 
and law. And this was Paul's response. There's no such thing as righteousness through grace and law. It's either one or the other. And Paul says, for we who believe in Christ and trust in Christ are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh or our efforts and accomplishments. See, the Judaizers are focused on themselves, their flesh and their efforts. Now, Jesus helps. He's a means to the end. But ultimately, the Judaizers' goal is righteousness in themselves. In the end, they really didn't want God at all. That was why Jesus said to them, you don't don't even recognize me or know my father. See, Paul is saying that the whole point of gaining righteousness was to reestablish a right relationship with God. That Jesus is not only the means to the end, the way of salvation, but he is the end. He's the goal of salvation. And so Paul's goal was to know Christ. And that is what salvation is all about. Listen to Jeremiah 9.23, where God speaks. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. Jesus put it in John 17.3 this way. Now this is eternal life. This is everlasting life, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. This word know is not speaking of simply an informational knowing, it's a relational knowing. And it's in the participle uh, format, meaning to be knowing, to be in relationship, knowing the Father and Jesus Christ. See, what sin really did our rebellion was separate us from God. Isaiah 59 2, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. God cannot dwell with sinners. And so the whole point of Jesus coming, the reason he brought salvation to us is to renew and restore a right living relationship with God. First Peter 3.18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And so Paul has embraced all of what salvation is about. Indeed, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He counts everything as loss. Think about that. Because there's one thing, only one thing that can be the priority. It's a surpassing worth. In other words, Paul has this ledger and he's measured knowing Christ and he's measured everything else that he has, everything that he's accomplished, everything that he's valued. And he says that it's a no brainer. That it's a surpassing worth, that religion is not enough. That achievements is not enough. That righteousness is not enough. But that Christ is enough. Christ is his heart. I don't know if you're familiar with the history of uh, Mary I, also known as Bloody Mary, who ruled England in the 1500s. 
She ruled England and she was married to Philip, uh, King Philip of Spain. And they had managed to seize a piece of France back uh, in the 1400s. The port city of Calais, which is in the north uh, uh, east part of France, that was a port city that belonged to England. And it was where all of commerce went from England into Europe. It was this beautiful city, and it was considered the jewel of England. That England uh, uh, recognized it as fully part of England. They sent representatives from it to the House of Commons, and they guarded it so well that there was a saying, that then shall the Frenchman Calais win, when iron and lead like cork shall swim. Well, in 1558, France attacked with 30,000 troops and managed to seize from England the port city of Calais. And England was devastated, and in particular, Queen Mary. And when the news of the loss reached Queen Mary, she exclaimed, When I am dead and and you open my chest, you will find Calais written on my heart. What's on your heart? When you're dead and all is gone and they cut you open and they look at your heart, what's on it? There's only space for one thing. Paul chose, and we must too. For it's the choices that we make that reveal who we are. My mentor, when I was a young man, asked me three questions. He said, there's only three questions that you really have to ask yourself. And I'm going to give you the first And then I'm going to give you the second and third in a little bit. But the first is this. What do you want? If I could only have one thing, what would it be? What would be enough? My heart beats for my business. My heart beats for my children. My heart beats for my reputation. Now, I'm not saying those are bad things. There are many good things in life, but we were only made for one priority. We may want to say Jesus and fill in the blank, but it doesn't work that way. You can only have Jesus when Jesus is all for you. You must give all to him that you may get all of him. So we must decide. For until you make this resolution, your life will have no resolution. That's the priority, to know Christ. Well, what does it cost? Look at verse 7. Whatever gain I had, Paul says, whatever I've accomplished, whatever I've done, whatever I have, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This word counted is an accounting term. He's basically written off everything and moved it into the debit so he could have the credit of knowing Jesus Christ. That it is of surpassing greatness, surpassing worth. Paul goes on, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, Paul actually did end up losing all of these things in order to gain Christ. He put his money where his mouth was. 
right? He was this Hebrew of Hebrews, this Pharisee, this man who was actually known for going out and persecuting Christians. But he decided that Christ was his, his priority and he lived his life in that way. And his position, his title, his reputation, all of it went down the drain. Paul gives a litany of his accomplishments here in this passage. That nobody has more right to put confidence in the flesh in this country than I do. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. What he's saying is I'm a pure blood. I'm a pure blood Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin and Joseph were Jacob's favorite sons that were born to Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. In other words, he's a, he's a favored Israel, Israelite. He's from the Benjamites. Israel's first king from, came from Benjamin. And when Absalom rebelled against David and David fled, the Benjamites stuck with David. Paul saying, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to following this law, I'm a Pharisee. He's attained the highest level of religious accomplishment in his country. He's the Michael Jordan, if you will, of a Jewish law. He's studied under the priest, high priest Gamaliel. And as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He can't get any higher. And yet, what does he say? I count all of this as rubbish. This word in the Greek, skubala, is actually what comes out of the back end of a horse. That's what he counts his accomplishments. Now, they aren't that, are they? But he's saying compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, they are as dung. In fact, notice he says, I, I do this in order that I may gain Christ. If I don't do this, I don't get Christ. I have to let go of all of that in order to gain him. It's one or the other. For Jesus does not share his throne with anyone. And Paul says, I count them all as rubbish in order to gain Christ that I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, but rather that which is through faith. All of Paul's righteousness comes from trusting in Christ, to be found in him. To live is Christ, Paul said, and to die is gain. See, Paul understood that he had to choose his identity. So have you chosen yours? Imagine you could go back to 1972 and invest a dollar in each company in the S&P 500. Which company would provide the largest return on investment by the year 2002? Would it be GE, or IBM, or Intel? According to Money Man Manager, the answer is actually Southwest Airlines. Which is quite startling because the airline industry is notoriously bad at generating profits. But you need to understand a little bit about Herb Kelleher, the CEO of Southwest, and when they were starting Southwest. Herb gave an interview where he talked about the very deliberate decision-making and trade-offs that they made in order to make Southwest. Rather than trying to fly every destination, they deliberately chose to only offer point-to-point -point flights, and only within a certain distance so they could standardize their fleet. 
the same plane across the board so they could cut down on maintenance costs. Instead of jacking up prices to cover the cost of meals, he decided they would serve none. Instead of assigning seats, they would let people choose them. Instead of glitzy first-class service, they offered only coach. Each of them was made, of these decisions, was made as part of a deliberate strategy to keep costs down. Did he run the risk of alienating customers? Yes. But Kelleher was totally clear about what the company was, a low-cost airline, and what they were not. And the rest is history. Now, at the beginning, all the other airlines laughed at Southwest. They said it would never work. But as they generated, as they saw Southwest generating profits, they said, we need to do something about this. But instead of adopting Keller's approach, they did what Harvard Business School calls as straddling their strategy. In the simplest terms, straddling means keeping your existing strategy while simultaneously also trying to adopt the strategy of a competitor, being two things at once. I don't know if you remember Continental Light. No, you probably don't. Continental Airlines said, we can do this too, right? And so they created this new subsidiary airlines. So they could compete on price, but the only problem was they were trying to do what Southwest was, but they were continuing to do what they were doing as well. They were straddling the fence. They lost hundreds of millions of dollars, and they were generating a thousand complaints a day. The CEO was fired. It turns out to be a terrible strategy for organizations and a terrible strategy for people as well. So my question for you is this, what's your identity? I am blank. What's the first thing that came into your mind? I am a mother. I am a hard worker. I am successful. Or I am in Christ. Remember my mentor who said there are three questions you need to ask yourself. Number one, what do you want? The answer for me is Jesus. But here's question two and three. How much are you willing to suffer for it? And number three, what gets your time? Number two, how much are you willing to suffer for it? Paul said, I'm all in. I'm all in. And that's what Jesus said to us if we want him, right? If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will gain it. We must renounce all of our accomplishments in principle daily. And we may have to renounce them all in actuality as Paul did. You must be all in. Give all to him that you may get all of him. How much are you willing to suffer for it? And then finally, the third question, what gets your time? What does that mean? It means I might say that I'm all in. But I have to examine my life because my life will really communicate whether I'm all in or not, right? It's only two books you need to master to become a disciple of Christ. Is it Romans? Is it Galatians? Oh, it's your day book and your checkbook. 
because your time and your money communicate your priorities. So there are 24 hours in the day. How much of your heart is about him and how much is about the world? Someone said that your religion is what you do with your solitary time. When it's just you alone, where's your focus? Researchers tell us that we take in 34 gigabytes worth of information a day. How much of that is focused on God's word? Now, am I advocating to you that you need to be a hermit and leave this world? No. We must be in the world, not of the world. But we must decide who is our priority, who is our king. Like Paul, who said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, as I go to the market, as I do my job, as I care for my family, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, my day belongs to him. Examine your thoughts, your calendars, your to-dos. Who are you about? To get him costs all. But until you make this resolution, your life will have no resolution. Well, this brings me to my final point. What do you get? Paul says, I count everything as loss. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying, I've done all of this, not just to do this, but that I might know him. My creator. The one who made me. We were made for this and we're empty. If we gain the entire world, but we don't have Christ, we lose our soul. Jesus, we gain him. That means that we're never alone, that he's always with us. That we might know him in the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? It means the manner in which he is known. Jesus Christ is a risen savior, right? Go to the tomb of Jesus Christ and you won't find him there. He is alive and real and present. And though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with us. Maybe you have experienced walking through life when it is dark and you are alone and you are powerless. There's this story about a guy walking down the street and he falls in a hole and the walls are so steep that he can't get out. And a doctor passes by and the guy shouts out, hey, you, can you help me out? And the doctor writes out a prescription and he throws it in the hole and he keeps on walking. And then a priest comes along and the guy shouts, Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? And the priest writes out a prayer and throws it down in the hole and moves on. And then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. And the guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both in the hole down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before. And I know the way out. To get Christ, 
is to get the one who's been down there before and who comes to be with us and to lead us through the darkness into life. And the power of his resurrection means the one who is full of life, the victor and the king who has made all things and holds all things together. To know him means to know yourself. For how can we understand who we are if we don't know the one who made us? And sharing in his sufferings, it means more and more as I know him. Giving more and more of myself to him. Crucifying all things to him. On the inside and on the outside, experiencing the same persecution. That I might become like him in his death. Meaning fully surrendered to God. Transformed into his likeness. A change and a transformation on this planet in this world. We no longer talk about transformation and change, right? We talk about life hacks, modifications. Jesus is talking about life from death. As Paul says, that somehow I might attain a resurrection from the dead. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. And that life is in his son. He who has the son has life. As Paul says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's in Christ that we overcome the world. It's in him that we find the love that we're so desperately searching for. The holiness that we were made for. And the power that God wants to give us to live the life that he has called us to live, which will culminate in the future bodily resurrection when Christ comes again. What do you lose? And what do you gain? It's a no-brainer, right? Or is it? That's the call and the offer of the gospel. But you must receive it. You must choose. You can only have one priority. This God of the universe has spanned the universe, crossed it through Jesus Christ because he wants to walk through life with you. And to get him costs you all. But he is the only thing that's worth all. So give all to him that you may get all of him. For until you make this your New Year's resolution, your life will have no resolution. By God's grace, let us make that resolution today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the pearl of great price, the treasure hidden in the field, the one who is worth giving all that we have, that we may gain you and be found in you. You are life itself. So, Lord, let us be satisfied with nothing less. Let us pursue you with all of our heart. All that we ask is that you walk with us and be near to us. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.